Welcome, everybody, to the Eyes on Big Podcast, your go-to Big Ten football podcast. I'm your co-host, Jeffrey the Greek, joined as always by... This is Big Kurt. Big Kurt, are you on Twitter? Big Kurt on Twitter, B1GKURT. I am Jeffrey the Greek at Jeffrey the Greek. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast as we move through the February winter month. We really appreciate that. Um, Not always easy to come up with topics, but... People have been really good about responding, listening, downloading, and that means a lot to us. Part of the February and March months is cold. Um, as this podcast is being listened, download, I'm actually in Florida getting away from the cold for about four days, so that's kind of nice. Very nice. Um, I wouldn't need to take a vacation away. I I don't have to do it. I don't have to do it either. The only thing I, I don't mean, Don't like... get me wrong. I, as 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 this podcast is being released, where you know we're Tarantino in this, right? yes, for for the timeline, it's still a week before actually I am actually going to be in Florida. But with that being said, I'm going to Florida to make my wife happy, which in turn has a lot to do with my happiness. Sure. But there's something for me of just I just like getting through the winter. It it makes that first spring day oh so sweet. I don't need the warm vacation. I don't like the warm vacation. You don't even like it? I don't like heat. I don't like being in the sun. I'm not a fan of beaches. And I especially don't like being at resorts. <laughs> For real? I'm not joking. You, you if I snap my fingers right now, it it was it was negative fourteen <clears throat> to start the day out. Today, today sucked. Today. Yes. Um but but again, by the way, it was like a it was like a forty eight hour cold snap. I know, it wasn't what that was big, big of a deal. deal. Wasn't that big of a deal. We we see this all the time yeah. in the Midwest. Yeah. It's not that incredible. Anyways, if I snap my fingers right now and uh-huh. you were on a beach with a drink in your hand, seventy eight, eighty two degrees. You're you're not interested in that. I'd rather be at the liege with the drink in my hand. Really? Yes. Okay, that's that's a little bit messed up. Um, that's I, taking it a little. Okay. <laughs> I I now I'm not saying I wouldn't want to be other places. Okay. Like I don't know. Send me somewhere in Europe. Drop me off in a, in a country I've never been in. But it would still probably be cold, and you'd be okay with that. Yeah. Yeah. It's not the heat. I'm not after the heat. Um. But you. The whole point on a vacation, like. All I have to do is I will I will just be able to walk into the ocean where we're at or the pool. So you get out of the heat, still not good for you. No, okay. I don't you, like you. There's a there's a friend of mine named Ryan. Uh, absolutely hates the heat. I like you, this guy already. You you are that much in. We make fun of him all the time because June, July, August, he's just a sweat box. He's sweating nonstop. Oh, me too. So you're, I've never known you were that heat adverse like that. Absolutely. Now I despise. The snow. Okay. So if you can send me somewhere cold you're with very, no snow. You're very complex. I am. I am. Okay. Intricate. Intricate. Is the word. <laughs> that's that's putting it yeah, nicely. But I don't want to go anywhere warm. Um, And then lastly, what I would say, and I think we can, you know, speak to this because we're almost, we're, we're mostly speaking to the Midwest footprint. Um, People on the West Coast look down their noses on us Midwesterners and they're just like, ugh, I couldn't stand living in that cold weather and there's i I think very few people other than my podcast partner would debate that the climate in california is more agreeable than duluth minnesota well 
I'd, but I'd probably agree with that. Okay. Because, with, like, Northern California never gets too hot. I mean, they've got their microclimate, so right. it depends where you are. But it never gets too hot, never gets too cold. Sign me up. I'm okay with that. Okay. And yeah. no snow. And no snow. Yeah. Um, special shout out to wine country in California. That's amazing. Like, that, the weather there, because it gets really cool at night. They get a little bit of the desert effect. I mean, it can get down to, like, the 60s at night. That's why the grapes do so well. Excel. Yes. Excel. But with that being said, people on the on the West Coast, they just think like, well, yeah, I I live in a one point four million dollar house that's seven hundred and fifty square feet, but I don't have to deal with the winters. Like, like, hey. no, the winters aren't that bad. Well, y- you can have a large home that you own, right? That is close to a major metropolis, and I'm not just talking Minneapolis. It could be. Chicago is pretty expensive, but there's a ton of cities in the Midwest that are much less expensive than anywhere on the West Coast. It's it's not worth it to just get better weather to give up all that other stuff. No, and and allow me to turn off all of our coastal listeners as I say this. I'm glad we have bad weather to keep them out. 100%. I, I don't care if you are turning them off. That is... <laughs> 100 percent accurate okay yeah glad we agree on that more stuff we're we're listening off that we agree on so all right in the last podcast we ranked the coaches 14 to 1 then one back to 14 we're gonna do the same thing here for the the uh programs so you kind of listed off your criteria for the coaches in the last podcast do you have that i've got some criteria here for the program for the program okay go okay first of all and not in any specific order, but we have to take in consider consideration all these. Overall program tradition, wins versus losses, Big Ten titles, national championships, Heisman, great players. Recruiting fr- footprint is going to play into this. Uh, administration, how much does the administration help you win? Facilities, ability to the win, win your division, conference playoffs, national championship, um, Pressure, just like pressure. Okay, pressure is a big one. Pressure to win. Like, so we're kind of looking at this from a perspective as a of a potential coach getting hired by these programs. There you go. So that's the negative. Is like, you know, okay, we're gonna hire you at Ohio State. You've got all these great players, but you got to win, baby. You got to win national championships. You got to win Big Ten championships, et cetera, et cetera. So pressure basically means expectations versus reality. That's essentially what pressure is. Yes. Yeah. And just like our coaches ranking. We're listing off as many things as possible, so that way we can hide behind a shroud of reasons if your program is not ranked where you think it should be. I will repeat what I said on the previous cast. We'll include as many criteria as possible so we can cover our asses and justify any picks we make. And like I said, hey, we're just trying to have fun here. You gotta let's let's go back to that. This is all about fun. And one more that I haven't mentioned: uh, recency bias. There's, there's going to be some. Yeah, there's yep. going to be some. Um, and we'd love to hear from you on Twitter, even if it's negative. Tweet us. Try it. Like what you, whenever you have to give somebody something to improve on, the first thing you do is say, hey, first of all, I really liked what you did with the, Always Smith, start with the, positive. With the Smith Project. Always. It was great how you brought the, that the up. Penske file. The Penske file. Remember what you did with the Penske file? file? Man, what, good that stuff. From? That's a Seinfeld. That was Seinfeld. Yeah. The Penske file. Okay. When he got hired at the fake job and he didn't <laughs> actually have the job. That's right. <laughs> And then was that the one where he goes, I found if I if I just always look 
frustrated and I just walk around. No, nah, that was a different one. That was a like, different one. Yeah. Where, that where, was when he was working for the Yankees. If you look angry, people think you're, you're working hard. You're working hard. Yeah, he was with the Yankees at that point. Yeah. That was good. That was yeah. good. I've used that before. Oh, yeah. I think we all have. All right. So we are going to start out at the bottom and work our way up. We don't have any uh, financial news to tie this to. This is just straight up program rankings. Yeah, we didn't tie in the, the I guess, the overall revenue. I suppose we could have, but that – Hey, it's the Big Ten. The overall revenue is good. Is good. Yeah. It is very good. Number 14, we got Rutgers. And I got to be honest with you, when I sat down to make this ranking, I honestly thought maybe I would have Rutgers a little bit higher. I'm not going to say I didn't think about it. Okay. So Greg Schiano has got the ability to tap into a lot of recruiting right there. Well, and that's what it comes down to is they've got a great recruiting base. Like, why this program has never excelled, I guess I don't personally know. It, I, it's probably administration, is my guess. But there's no reason that this program can't excel, except for the fact that they haven't in the past. That's that is the number say. one reason. They're a conundrum wrapped in a riddle with that, because there's no reason they should be this bad. But the fact of the matter is, there is no tradition to speak of with nah. Rutgers football. Nope. Like, the the high point is... Was around two thousand five, six, and seven. Yeah, under Greg Schiano, who's back under the which, helm. by the way, those were some great games they played. Like sure, a lot of those Thursday night Thursday games. Night that games. one against Louisville, oh, oh so good, God. so good, great game. Um, but in the end, you have to compare against most, pro- mostly, the other programs in your division, and then overall in the Big Ten. So I think you have to take the division into account here. Huge. This, that doesn't just go for Rutgers. That goes for every team Everyone, we're going to go forward here. But especially in the East. Like you're in the East. Oof. It's going to be harder. So you just start with Ohio State. It's like, loss right yep. there. Yep. Then it's almost the same thing comparing them to Penn State. And oh, by the way, Michigan as well. Michigan has absolutely obliterated Rutgers. But Rutgers did beat them once. I know. That's true. But most, most of the time, no. Then... I mean, Michigan State obviously has been the stronger program. Even with Michigan State struggling, they've still beat Rutgers. They're they're a long ways away from Indiana right now. Long ways away, but I will say they are starting to do the right things as a program, as an athletic department. They're starting to invest because they were so far behind everybody in the Big Ten. So they're starting to invest in facilities, which is step one. But it's going to take a while from that point. Let's. I'm gonna challenge you. What is, what's the the high low for each program, right? So we'll just do wins. Now I'm not saying the absolute highest because the absolute highest I could see Rutgers getting to, if I'm being crazy, is ten wins. Whoa! You think that's way high? That's too high. They schedule. Here's here's how it would go down. The new Big Ten commissioner, right? Yeah. Goes to eight game schedule conference schedule so they, okay so we're we're you know taking some liberties here we're taking some liberties okay here. so they schedule the four easiest non-conference wins they can right get four wins there get a pretty easy crossover from the big 10 west have right? to be uh, with three easy crossover oh i guess suppose it'd probably go down to two yeah two, go down right? to two. go down to two yeah they get two wins there that's six wins that's six wins and they basically go they beat indiana they beat maryland, maryland. That's eight and wins. They, they beat a Michigan State. Michigan State that's would be nine. Some issues, and they they no. bust off a win versus either Penn State or or Michigan. No. So so what would be your highest? Eight. 
let's meet in the middle and say nine. Okay. That would be about the highest. Yeah. And we've already seen the lowest with them. Yeah. <laughs> so somewhere between one and 11 and nine and three. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Next up, we have the Indiana Hoosiers. I yes. already apologized to Hoosier fans here. You, yeah. Well, but d- in in this is a compliment to Tom Allen. For sure. Absolutely to for sure. start this off with a positive. And let's look let's at- Let's make that a theme, right? Let's start out with a positive. Okay. Okay. Tommy Allen, doing a great job. Negative is just very little history to speak Very of, little right? history. It's a quote-unquote basketball school, right? That's another one. That is a distra- That is a detractor from the football program. It is. And- Okay, not great recruiting around you, and you're competing with Purdue. You're competing with Notre freaking Dame. And you're for competing recruits. against Ohio, Ohio State, State. Sure, I Michigan, mean, everyone, Penn State. It's, it's like it's like SEC schools can come into Indiana. It's almost like a mini Chicago. It's so close to everybody in the Big Ten that it's not. There's really no advantage. You don't have an advantage. Like there's no in-state advantage. Oh, we're gonna get all these Indiana guys. Nah, actually, no, you're not. You can get some. You can get you, some. You you can get a. A lot of solid three-star guys, I think, in Indiana. Is that fair? Yeah. Tough to get those four-star guys because all the things you just said, the, the the lack of tradition, the basketball school. The, the basketball schoolness, yes, absolutely. That's all, a big it one. It all makes it a tough. Isn't that weird how that works against the other program? Like it, it's, it, 95% of the time, not always. That It's either one or the other. Yeah, but yeah. not always. There no, are some schools. There are some, um, but yeah. I don't think we're being unfair by putting Indiana 13. No, I don't think so either. But it doesn't make me feel good to see him at 13th either. It's just one of those things. I am I have I am like an out of the closet Hoosier fan. I want them to do well. So yep. yes, I don't like to see him down here. Then next up, could could get a little controversial here. Could maybe. get a little chippy. Number 12, a little chippy. Purdue. Purdue. S- oh. Kind of the same thing. Why is Purdue ahead of us? As Hoosier fans. Now, I would say pretty much everything that we just listed off. Same state, right? Same state. Basketball school. Pretty much all applies. But Purdue's got a little bit better history. They've got some better history in football. Quite a bit better history The greasy history. The breeze history. I mean, just the quarterbacks in general. Right. I mean, Mike Phipps. I mean, come on. Jim Everett. Jim Everett. Yeah. Yeah. So there has been... More salty Purdue teams in our lifetime compared to Indiana. There's been about well, well let's see, the two, '80s were good with Indiana. Don't get me wrong. I don't want to. I don't want to besmirch '80s Indiana football too. But like much. the 2000s, Purdue was pretty solid. Also good quarterbacks for the 2000s. Had a championship. Shared it in 2000. Right. You have to go back to '67 for Indiana. There you go. So you got to give it to Purdue here. They they deserve to be a spot above Indiana. Here. And I think they're being a little more aggressive in the facilities. I think they're getting a little more help from their admin. Aggressive in how they're paying their coach. <laughs> yeah, touche. The last, I mean, that's just another thing yep. you can point at. So it is what it is, right? I mean, this is the facts that we think we're looking at with a program like this, and it seems to make sense. Number eleven, we got the Illinois Fighting Illini football program. And I think it'd be fair. I mean, I, I feel like you can take Illinois, Purdue, and Indiana, and they're they're fairly interchangeable. They're very right? they're fairly interchangeable. Yeah, the positives here is that there's been positives not that long ago. So you've had spikes with the Illinois program. You do, which is strange. Like if you look at their history last thirty years, it's mostly awful. But then, oh, whoa, they they win the Big Ten in 
well, okay, let's go back a little further. Win the Big Ten in 83. Win the Big Ten in 1990. They uh, win the Big Ten in 2001. They go to the Rose Bowl in 2007. Like, it's they, great. They've like, had there spikes. There is a uniqueness with Illinois Absolutely. football like that that I've never seen before. It is a roller coaster up, yep. down, up. It, it's crazy. It's crazy. It's That's the only reason that I feel like they belong above Purdue and Indiana. Is that. Is they have but a higher a, ceiling. But that's a big thing. They have a higher ceiling. And they have an access to, well, Purdue's got the same access, but being in the Big Ten West, like there is, it seems like there is a more attainable chance to get higher than certainly Indiana and Rutgers in the East. Yep. So that's the advantage they have. Now, one thing I'm going to let you talk about a little bit is, you know, people talk about the recruiting basin that is Illinois. You think it's a little overrated, correct? Like well, so the the, the recruiting, um, the, I guess you said the word base. Okay, the recruiting base in Chicago is, is it overrated? I mean, there's a lot of recruits that come out of Chicago, but they don't seem to produce elite talent from that area. It's very rare that you see a five-star coming out of Chicago. There you go. It's a lot of solid three and four stars. It's a lot of solid three and four stars, and there is absolutely no loyalty to any program for all and of those kids. And I thought that was going to be like I, I, I'm a five star kid, and that's not. I mean, that's Illinois and Northwestern. Like Illinois kids don't have this yearning desire to stay in state. Well, th- that's what I'm getting. Is, yeah. is, I'm an Illinois kid. I'm a highly touted kid. I live in the state of Illinois. The University of Illinois m- might as well be a different name. Like it's it's might as well be Wisconsin, might as well be Iowa, might as well be Purdue. There is zero loyalty in state, and the competition for everyone comes to Chicago to recruit. I mean, pretty much name your Big Ten team. They go to Illinois. It's a every one of them. Other school, other conferences come into them, come into Illinois as well. Sure. I mean, everybody looks at that state as a highly competitive state. Also, to to finish finish up or to uh, continue on with the theme, Indiana mm-hmm. Purdue. Illinois is mostly known as a basketball school. I mean, Touché. that Good is point. also yes. a point there. Um, a little bit closer to being both, right? I mean, a little bit. Because <laughs> another <laughs> reason that I think it's it makes sense to put Illinois above Purdue and Indiana is, and we got to go back a ways, but man, Illinois football was incredible way back in the day but i don't know if it's incredible but it always feel it's solid teams even if they didn't have good record at the end of the year always competitive yep so i think that makes sense here at 11 number 10 we got northwestern now so some recency bias here a little bit of recency bias but they deserve that recency bias absolutely i we, think so we talked on the last podcast three straight coaches that have been very solid coaches yeah. at northwestern no, I don't think there's any doubt in the mind that the three best coaches that have been at Northwestern are the three most recent coaches. Well, Era Parsegian, but he was pretty short-lived. And at, so far back. Yeah, so far back, yeah. So it's the, incredible what the last three coaches have pulled up, but that's what gets them to the 10th ranking. Yes. Because if somebody would have – if podcasts were a thing that was invented 25 years ago, and if you would have said Northwestern was not the last place team in the Big Ten – People would have been amazed. Like, right. what the hell has gone down in North? Well, what's gone down in Northwestern in the last 25 years is a lot of winning. And the weird thing about Northwestern, they're such an outlier in the Big Ten, right? They're the smallest enrollment in the Big Ten, by far, not even close. They're the only private school in the Big Ten. Um, they have to, their academics are so good that they have to recruit nationally. They have to look for a specific type of kid. There are so many built in obstacles 
for Northwestern. That's why you can't. That's why I don't think they can be higher than this. That's why they can't be higher than that. You could make a point that all the things you just said, they should be lower. But in spite of all of that, they have been winning a lot of football yeah. games. Like this, this You is, can't deny that. This is always a solid team. But I mean, there's no way you could put them below Illinois, Purdue, Indiana at this but point. But with that being said, if Pat Fitzgerald stepped away, there isn't a Big Ten fan outside of Evanston that doesn't think this football program would cater after that. Is that accurate? Or do you think the backbone is so strong right there that... Well, that after this year, I'm not so sure. If you had asked me last year, I'd said they'd be fine. Because maybe even the Northwestern football program would be... Because we talked in the last podcast that Pat Fitzgerald would have been uh, higher up a year ago. Would, would have the football program be ranked higher up on this list as well? Not much. I don't think so. Okay. I don't think so. Okay. No. All right. Number nine, and I think we have maybe a little bit of a line of demarcation, a very light line of demarcation from 10 to 9. Yeah, it's it's grayish. Gray-ish, There's a grayish okay. line from 10 to 9. A little bit debatable here between the next two. In, in all honesty, you could flip-flop these, I think, to a certain degree. Number nine, we got the Minnesota Golden Gopher football program. So Minnesota has, I mean, had a very solid program for many years, right? They haven't, they haven't had the the high highs until this year, right? But they've but they, never they had the low lows. They, they have. If you look back on Minnesota's football history, we'll just say the last thirty years, they've gone to a lot of bowls. Mm-hmm. They have gone to more bowls than most teams. Yes, and people kind of don't know that, and, and it fits into what you're just saying here. They've never really been bad, for very rarely. They they had a. I mean, a couple horrible years. There's been a couple horrible years. The the, Brew the Brewster crew, years. The Brewster Brew Brew was, was disrupted. Brewster. But, yeah. um, that was bad. Yeah. Um, and again, I go back to they did all of that without a quarterback. I mean, they had they did not they went from Ricky Foggy to Tanner Morgan. <laughs> I mean, that, that's how long they went between good quarterbacks, yeah. pretty much. Adam Weber, okay, he was okay. he wasn't too bad. Um, but they could always run the ball. I mean, I'm kind of going back to. Um, Mace, the Mace years. Um, Loved the Mace years. The Mace years were good. I mean, they were the epitome of the eight and four team you didn't want to play. Or back then it would have been seven and four or eight and three. Yeah, but you know what? Cover fans always said couldn't win, couldn't win the rivalry games. Yeah, couldn't win the big one. I think it was more yeah, than thing. Get, well, but the rival they they wanted to beat Wisconsin. Yeah, and they wanted to beat Michigan. And I just say luck. That's not the goal here. But it still fits into the tradition, meaning this is a program that you can win football games at. You can. Then you, if you factor in tradition, now we got to go back a ways, but I mean, Minnesota football was an absolute juggernaut back in the day. Yeah. Long time ago. And PJ's got him back up now. So it's, but the, I'm going to, I'm going to temper that a little bit. Not a great recruiting base to pull from. No. No. That's um, a big thing they got going against them. And I think part of the detraction of the recruiting base is a lot of potential football players that never play football. Why? Because they're playing hockey. This is a hockey state. Boy, that's a good point. This is not a football state. Didn't think about that. That's a big deal. Think about how many outside linebackers, maybe even potential linemen, don't wow. ever play the sport because they're playing hockey year-round and during the winter. Can Ball? I make a note of that? That's a thing. That is a me. thing, yeah. That is hockeyness i'm gonna be real deep for you here okay would you say that there's a overwhelming love for gopher sports 
or go for football in general in this state? No. I think the reason that is is because of hockey. In that yeah, that could be. Only the top of the top get a hockey scholarship to go to uni- University of Minnesota. People that go to University of Minnesota Duluth, St. Cloud State, UMD, or uh, uh, North Dakota, North Dakota State, most of those are Minnesota kids. Yep. They bring with them then throughout their life a hatred for all things that are the University of Minnesota. You don't have that in other states. Wow. There is no pull from different – like in, in Nebraska, you're a Nebraska fan or you're not, right? In Wisconsin, you're a Wisconsin fan or not. Iowa has Iowa and Iowa State, but you're still either a hard Iowa fan or hard Iowa State fan. There are factions of Minnesotans that dislike the University of Minnesota. This is interesting. So basically what you're describing is not only is Minneapolis and St. Paul a a, a pro-town like Chicago, which I'm used to. I'm used to like this pro-town that doesn't give a crap about college sports. The Vikings are definitely the biggest show here. But then at the same time, you've got this hockey pole away. Hmm. Interesting. That's pretty deep, man. That's a thing. I, I don't think I'm just making this up. I I can't go that deep into other football programs because I don't live in the state that that, that football program resides in. I've thought about this over the years with Minnesota, mm. and that is a thing to me. Yeah, And All it's right. tough because PJ has had the ability to get people to talk about the football program. It's kind of been incredible. He's done a great job that way, but I wouldn't say that he's done such a better job in state than, than other uh, coaches have. He's done a better job out of state than other coaches have. Recruiting, you're talking. Recruiting, yeah. yeah. But I'm just talking the overall desire to cheer for the University of Minnesota football. Program oh, he's he's improved that a lot. There's no doubt. Yeah, because the 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 generations of love for Minnesota football, it's not there. No, it's very rare. It's definitely not. All haven't, right, haven't had a great coach since Bernie Beerman. Since Bernie, yeah. Well, maybe PJ's that next one. That's what my uh, my colleague's dad used to always say. Yeah. Haven't had a good coach since Bearman. Great name, by the way. Oh, awesome name. All right. So that gets us into the past the... No, no. We got one more. Excuse me. Number eight. Probably a surprise to people. Yeah. We have the Maryland Terrapins. Keep in mind, this is a potential. Like, it's what is going to attract a coach? What program is going to attack, attract a coach? Now... When Maryland was not in the Big Ten, their previous conference, they had success. There's been good Maryland football programs. Some good Maryland teams over the years, I should say. But don't you think there's it's more attractive now that they're in the Big Ten? I think so. Yeah. I and mean, think about they they've had huge facility upgrades. Yep. I mean, they're not lacking for facilities at all. Their recruiting base, I mean, they're they they have no excuse not to have they have talented teams, but they do. But they have no excuse for that to change. I really feel like most people listening to this are going to be aghast at how high we have. I think so. Maryland. I think they will. And I think a gigantic chunk of this is what we're looking at for potential if the right person was here. Yeah. And they took control of that recruiting base. It would be, you know, I'm not going to say juggernaut, but it would be a very formidable football program. So the DMV is. Unlike Chicago, in that they have all the high-level guys. Correct. I mean, there are so many four and five stars coming out of that area. And even assuming they never get a five star, or maybe one five star every now and then because of whatever reason, but they probably won't, right? But they still but they have. That's true. They have even yeah. recently. 
they still would have access to a boatload of four star. Oh guys. my god! If you can get so a like, coach, I mean, it like you could make the argument that a coach at Maryland has a better recruiting situation than I, I know this is crazy, but Michigan. Uh, now Michigan's so, got the way so higher Michigan, tradition, but Michigan, Michigan has a tradition, but it, within their footprint, absolutely, they've got better recruiting. Yeah, there's no doubt. Yeah. By the way, we completely uh, spaced on the high-low of each team, so we can't go back and do that. But I do think Maryland has the ability to get up to a 10-win team. I think so, too. Okay, so you're not even fighting me on that. No, I'm not fighting you at all on that one. Okay. There's no doubt they do. Okay. If they find – if they've just got to find the right coach to harness that. And then I think they can get to a situation where, again, they they schedule – Pretty easy outside the Big Ten, whether whether it be three or four games. They get their three, four wins there. Beat Rutgers, beat an Indiana, beat a down Michigan State team. Good enough to beat whoever the crossover is in the Big Ten West. You can see a path to eight or nine, even ten wins. I don't know enough about their administration, although they've been doing well on the facilities. So i got to think their administration is behind them. That's the one thing I'm curious about. Yeah. Do they have enough support? From their administration. I mean, also a basketball school, also a basketball school. And they're also paying locks the lowest in the big 10. Yeah. So they got some money then. So I don't know. Maybe they're not getting the support they need. Okay. That's a good point. Hmm. Okay. So after Maryland, we are past the bottom half of the big 10 and we are to the upper echelon of the big 10. Number seven, we got the Michigan state Spartan football program. A little bit of recency bias here. Probably. Uh, Probably, but things haven't been peachy keen in East Lansing lately. Okay, so you're saying maybe a couple of years ago we'd have had them higher. I don't think there's any doubt about yeah, that. Okay, but then if you look back at their history, they've reached some pretty high heights. They've always been really good. Sixties, they were outstanding. Correct. Eighties, like, they were very good. Very solid. Um, I mean, even nineties, pretty good. Two thousands, it. They've had a. They've got a tradition here. Yeah. Um, it's kind of like Minnesota, except better. It's Minnesota, but better. Even with a horrible hire, right about the same time frame. Well, earlier than that, John, the John L. years. Well, and also you got the Bobby Williams years. Yeah, yeah, I forgot about Bobby. <laughs> oh boy, Those Mark D'Antonio deserves a lot of credit. Yes, for he does. He, what he did it, D'Antonio. Uh, yeah, way to go. Um, but I think John L. has his own, his own special place on the. I knew it was going poorly. Hall of shame for Michigan State fans. And then he started slapping himself in the face. Yep. And then I don't even know. So with that being said, um, when I think about Michigan, the state of Michigan. So you're they're, second they're, in the state, right? You're. Let's and be I know honest. Michigan State fans are going to hate to hear that, but I don't even think the you know, the more rational thinking Michigan State fans can make a plausible, you know, argument that, that they're not the second picking for recruits. Correct. At, at, at the very least. Rec- and now, we're not talking now, about a not huge. on-field success recently. Agree. But also, we're not talking about a huge talent pool in the state of Michigan. That's where I was just going to go with that. But they can It pull- has been tough for the state of Michigan. They had way more talent back in the 70s and 80s and 90s. Yeah. I mean, it's not like they, they're void of talent. But then you've also got Ohio there. So you can go into Ohio and get th- those recruits. You can go to Chicago. You can dip into Pennsylvania as well. So it's not like there's no recruiting base. But right there within the state, it's not great. It's just okay. But where you're recruiting, Michigan and Ohio, which I got to think – 
you know, in Illinois, I got to think those are the hot, the, the states that they want to go the hardest at. They're second in Michigan. Correct. They're at least fourth or fifth in Ohio. I mean, Ohio State, Michigan, SEC schools come up in Ohio. Kentucky is actually third in Ohio right yeah. now for recruiting. Yeah, I believe that. And it's tough. That's a, I, Then basically they're up against the Wisconsin's, Iowa's. That's who they're recruiting against. Yeah. Nebraska too. They got to compete against. It's sure. It's it's, and now you got to bring up. There's str- there's struggles with the athletic department right now. We it's as a we mess. record this, it's an absolute. We think there could be sanctions that come down. Could be. I don't know if I expect that, but yeah, okay. I don't know. I I have no confidence in the NCAA. So no, yeah. I mean, there's no. We have no idea what to ex- to expect. I mean, that's not anything we could guess on. But anyways, I think Sparty's about where he needs to be. I think seven. so. All right, next up, we've got the six-ranked program, the Iowa Hawkeyes. A lot of things, I think, to take into account here. Certainly one of the first things you're going to point at is two football coaches in the last 114 years. Okay, it's not that much, but it it pretty much feels See, like It that. feels like it. So You know what stabil- it is? They're the Green Bay Packers quarterbacking of college football. That's a great analogy. I've actually seen that analogy. Brett yeah. Favre and to uh, yep. Aaron Rodgers. Um yeah, uh, you got to say something about the stability of a football program helping out the gen because we're still looking at this from a point of view of a coach. Now, ironically, so that's, that's really attractive. From it, it has like, to be. They're not right? going to fire me. You know, they're going to give me a chance. They're they're going to, and, and things are set up for success. Right. There's tradition there, obviously, that's going to lead towards success in the future because it's been shown that it can happen. In the past, um, it's a, you know, I know I'm looking at this from an Iowa fan point of view. It's a, it's a more realistic fan base than I think many fan bases are. Yeah, I don't think you're under as much scrutiny if you don't win the West or win the Big Ten. I mean, but yet the when Iowa fans got the most angsty was 2014, okay. and they had a reason to be angsty. I was angsty at the time. Um, I remember 2008, that. 2008, 9, and the first half of 2010 was really good. 2010 finished horribly. 2011 and 12 were were bad years. And it got a little bit better in 13, but then it ended horribly in 14. That was the only time that Coach Ferentz has been at the school where there was pressure there. And there should mm. have been. Yeah. And then they responded with 2015, and it's been pretty darn good ever since then. So I don't know like how people think Iowa fans should be, but in any fan base, you have to have some sort of wherewithal of where you rank in the college football universe. I would say that like, you got to know where you are, like where you are as a program, who, where do you fit in? Like, where are you in the pecking order of college football overall? You have to know your place. And I think part of what weighs into that is the recruiting base. That, that I was up against. I mean, you're maybe going to get, on average, six Division One level football players out of the state of Iowa. Right. But the good news is you can go just a little bit east in Illinois. In Illinois. And they do so well in downstate Illinois. And they do pretty good in Ohio, Pennsylvania. Yep. They, For some reason, they haven't spent much time in Jersey, but they've opened it back up to Florida and kind of down south. They just do pretty darn good recruiting, and what that turns out to be is pretty – when you mix that in with, I think, some excellent coaching, 
you you get a football program that typically pun, punches above its weight class. Is that and accurate? They, that's accurate. They've also got a system. Like Michigan State had a system. Like Wisconsin's got a system. So, you know, it's just kind of plug and play. If you're a coach, just keep doing what we've been doing. If, yep. you, if you use our formula, you're going to be fine. You're going to be good. Yep. And it's okay to go seven and five. Occasionally. But, but make we're sure going to expect up, you to get to 10, 10 and 2. Wins, yeah. And then it's, it's okay to yo-yo back and forth a little bit like that. So, All right, so that gets us to the number five ranked program, the Nebraska Cornhuskers. Certainly uh, blue-blooded history plays huge into where their ranking is at. Um, the on-field w- results haven't been good lately. Not lately, but I, I got to say, if you look at – all of history, they probably have the best tradition in the Big Ten. You'd put that over Ohio State. I think so. I would national say Ohio- championships. Yeah. Uh, I mean, not Big Ten champions, but conference championships, overall wins. It's it's either them or Ohio State, right? Okay. Yeah. No. I I I guess what I'm saying is there's a debate between Ohio State and Nebraska. I think you can debate that. that. Yeah. Sure. Um, yeah. I mean, I think Ohio State's higher up in all time wins and things like that. I don't. know. Okay, we're getting off topic here, but. One thing you can't deny is how amazing Nebraska's history has been. Absolutely. Most people think of the 90s. They were also pretty incredible in the 70s. And, oh, by the way, the 60s and 80s was pretty good football as right. well. And they had like a down-ish 50s, I think it was. Is that what it was? Okay. And then before that, they were fantastic too. Nebraska football has been very good for a very long time. Yep. Um, something you know pulling against it is – because of all that that we just talked about, the expectations are off. They're, through they're, the, they're, so that's through the roof. To me, that's the biggest attraction you have here is is See, the pressure to win. The pressure. Well, okay. The other one would be recruiting. There days. you go. I think there's kind of almost a one A one B, and they go hand in hand because, because it's when, expectations against. Rec- I mean, there's maybe three or four Division One ready football players in Nebraska. And right. So you got to go far outside of your footprint. Like you're not as close as Iowa to Illinois, for instance. Right. Yep. So you basically you have to recruit nationally and and, and Ohio and I mean everything, gets, all of it. Yeah, yeah. You're you're one step removed. But Scott Frost has been doing a great job Amazing. in spite of that. Yep. But still, you have a huge hurdle there being right in the middle of the country around not a whole lot of talent. And we probably didn't talk enough on the last podcast on Scott Frost, just how great of a job he's been doing oh my recruiting God. It's in been the face of, you know, the the challenges that yeah. have been up against. Um, in recruiting, comparison to history, typically you will see somebody bring up about how them getting away from the Big Twelve and their quote unquote recruiting base history. I don't know how you want to like call it down south in Texas and. Is that is that a thing? I mean, how big of a thing is that to you? I mean, I I guess, yeah, it's it's got to be a thing. I mean, that probably was their pipeline. I don't go that far back in Nebraska recruiting, but you have to imagine when they were in the Big uh, uh, Twelve that their bread and butter was Texas, right? Yeah, it was, yeah, yeah. And then they supplemented on like a little bit. I on mean, the, it in was Jersey. the prototypical. It was the farm boys from somewhere in the Midwest that were their 
beefy linemen, everything like that. And then they got they got speed down south in a little bit from Jersey too. I think. Yeah, and I think they would go a little west coast here and there too. Yep. But yeah, I guess that's a good point. They they probably it's get, just changed. That they line. probably cut that pipeline off moving to the Big Ten. Is that one of the biggest detractors that's been against Nebraska? You know, it's been it's what almost ten years now since they've been in the Big Ten. Yeah, I think it's one, but I think it goes back further than that. I think the 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 facilities arm race, everybody's caught up to everybody, right? It's there's it used to be Oklahoma, Nebraska was like Nebraska was on TV a lot. Now everybody's on TV. Correct. A lot. That's the other one, TV. But then also like um, nutrition stuff, people have caught up. Strength and conditioning, yep. they were way ahead of everybody. Now everyone's doing all that stuff. So, but I think, as far as administrative and fan support, there's none better. <laughs> you're not gonna, you're going to get the support that it will take at least for a while. Yeah, you know, if now when you when you're you've shown you that stagnate, you're not winning, you stagnate. Then then you're it's gone. that's you're problems. Gone. Yeah, you're gone. Yep. All right, so number four. A little bit of a debate here between Big Kurt and I on three and four, but we've got Michigan at number four. Um, some of the things that we just talked about in Nebraska could be applied to Michigan. Um, you definitely have fan support. This is absolutely the, the the school and fan base love their Michigan Wolverine football program. I don't think there's any debate about that. But then you do get up into a expectation versus reality thing, and. Where the heck are we at with that with Michigan? I still can't 100% put a finger on it, but it's a thing. I can't put a finger on it either, but I got to think at this point, Michigan fans overall are thinking, you know what? We're not Ohio State. Or this just is what we are now. I think so. I think they're I, I, I would starting... go so far as to say it's like completely taking a toehold. No, with the but I think, they're base, starting, but I think they're starting to accept I, that. I agree. I agree that's part of it. Um, yeah. This, you know, you, maybe you can help me out with this. This was the winningest football program of all time, and now it's not. It's not. I can't remember when they got passed, but. I think it was just this year with Ohio State. Was it just this year? I think so. Okay. So. But there's there's a whole skew there, too, know, because there because were so, so many wins before, like, 1920. They were so far ahead of everybody. everybody. Yeah. And Ohio State started playing way later than they did. So they're, they are, you know, right up there, but they probably shouldn't be as high as they are. But. I still believe Michigan to be considered a blue blood program. Blue bloodish, bluish. If they maybe are on the line, little purple. to a certain degree, little, but little, little. If you're going to, if you're, if if any two guys are sitting at a bar, and they're just going to start blindly listing off the greatest fo college football programs of all time, Michigan's going to get named pretty quick. Yeah, if you're going all time. Yep. I mean, Heisman's all Americans. Sees like they've had some incredible history in their in their time but, yeah big 10 championships i mean yep you name it yep um but it's been tough lately it has not been as good as it's been and i think that's what's dragging them down to the fourth place spot but right how now. tough has it really been against ohio state and just it's been really elite, it's been pretty tough yeah yeah but i mean you can go back to i can remember being in college so I, I think I threw it out there. I'm 45 years old. Okay. So that this we're talking, we're going back a ways, right? 25 years. I remember reading an article about what's wrong with Michigan. How come they only keep winning eight games a year? Well, it, now they're winning there. a little bit more than eight games. Because, we, but because we're talking you play about, a 12-game schedule. We're now. talking about 25 years yeah. ago. They were still, they were yeah. doing these kind of things. Yeah, it's accurate. So I don't. But there wasn't as much. 
social media scrutiny back then, so it didn't seem like a big a deal. Now it now it seems like a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good point. All right. That gets us to the number three ranked program, the Wisconsin Badgers. Um a lot different than Michigan with that stuff. Meaning expectations. Expectations different. No football history until Barry Alvarez got there in the early nineties. Well, I don't know about that. Well, okay. Very low. I mean, okay. From there the sixties through ninety three, they were Horrible. Late 60s, though. I yeah. would even say like 1970 and 93. They had 20, 25 years of pretty horrible, horrible. Okay, not pretty. Awful football. But then before that, they were a pretty formidable not team bad. in the Big Ten. Not bad. So I just feel like there's about a 25-year blip right there. Pretty big blip. <laughs> Is it? Long hey, story short, when Barry Alvarez took the program over, he performed miracle working. That 1941 team. Oh, man. Oof. They were good. Um. Ever since then, you would be hard-pressed across the entire country to find a more stable football program than the Wisconsin Badgers. I mean, since 93? There's something, like I read in, I read in an article, It's they've got something like the second highest 10-win seasons of any. It's it's something crazy. Like it's all, Think about teams like back in 93. Put yourself in 93 when they finally went to the Rose Bowl. Yeah. If you had said, you know, Let's fast forward to 2020. They're more consistent than Florida State, Boom. than Miami, Miami. even Texas, really Florida, really. Tex- Florida, Texas, yeah, Texas USC. USC, UCLA, Washington, <laughs> yeah. Colorado, because if it's 93. Sure, yeah, 93, yeah. They've, they've been more consistent than all of them. Wow. And you don't have extreme, extreme pressure. So that's what I was going to say is like how many. Like that's to me is what pushed Wisconsin above Michigan, correct? Yes. You should have a higher recruiting class at Michigan than Wisconsin. Absolutely. But everything else seems to nudge towards Wisconsin right now. It does. Which is why they're at third. Yes. No buyer's remorse on this. I don't think I have any buyer's remorse on this. Okay. Cause I'm feeling pretty good at it. Because there was a flip-floppiness to the, these two at one point. There was. There was. But we were solid on the second-ranked program, which is the Penn State Nittany Lions. Yeah. Um, they got tradition coming out of their ears. Um, they got Joe Pa. They got Joe they got Pa. National they were, championships. They've got national championships. They were independent, so they didn't have a whole lot of conference, conference championship championships. They've got a recruit recruiting base that's very good recruiting base with the DMV. They can, they can pull they can from Ohio East. They can pull Jersey. from Midwest. There's not much bad things you can say about where Penn State has been, where they're at, and where they're going. But there's pressure. There's pressure. There's Absolutely. Pressure. The fan base is definitely supportive, but they get a little chippy and frustrated kind of at the first sign of trouble sometimes. Would you say it's similar to Nebraska? They're they're a step down to Nebraska to me. Like I see more Penn less State less pressure. Less like heat. I see Penn State fans right now getting into the basketball program. They are there are Penn State wrestling. Well, they better be getting into wrestling and basketball right now. My god. Good. And by the way, just an overall program health. Oh, you're not getting better than Penn State right not now. Not really. They're no. incredible right now. So that's what I'm saying. Like, I feel like there's they can pull themselves. They're always going to be number one football. Don't get me wrong, but they have the ability to care about other sports and and think about those things. Who's won, by the way? Yeah, I think we're going to go with the Ohio State oh, Buckeyes. Yeah. Um, 
that's a program that is typically pretty good in both basketball and football, by the way. That's one, yes. Yeah. That's Michigan one of the few. Another Michigan's one another one, yes. Um, they, they have been amazing. I mean, their worst year was the Luke Fickle year when Luke Fickle got put in a bad such a poor guy feel bad for him what is he six and six that year right i think he was but still that's did the, pretty good that was the now and there was one bad jim trestle year that you probably forget about i think it was back in 2004 oh Pentecost. was it really yeah they they went like eight and four something like that oh god what a horrible year i can't imagine <laughs> but, but isn't that the point i that's know that's bad. that's I'm, I'm i'm making fun i know but that's that's one of their worst years in our what would be our, our history? Okay, 2002, of, of... they won the national championship, right? Correct. 2001, yep. they were also like 6-6. Six Very... six. Okay, but that was when Tre- Trestle was new. Tr- Trestle's the... first year. So basically, a little bit of issues in the beginning. Other than that... And Al Cooper, he was terrible. I mean, but that's the thing, like... I'm joking. I mean, right. he was amazing. He won 9 or 10 games every, every year. single year. Their teams were uber talented i mean those are the teams that i have to go back to in the big 10 to compare this year's ohio state team to and think about this okay for a second you know on the last podcast we we kind of wax poetic and got kind of crazy about what the potential of ryan day is right yeah okay (laughs) think about this their last four coaches cooper yeah pretty good was it an upgrade to go from cooper to trestle uh, uh yes. yeah, because won he a won a national championship. championship. Okay. Yes. Was it an upgrade to go from Trestle to Urban? Oh yeah. If it's an upgrade to go from oh, Urban, Lord. just think about that. Think about how good Jim Trestle is, and we might be in version 3.0 and 4.0 for being better. It is absolutely incredible. I mean, Ur- Ohio State under Urban never had a downtime. They were always amazing. Yes. And, and did uh, Coop replace Earl Bruce? Is that I who? believe so. Okay, also so that, not a bad coach. that was a, a good coach, but I think an upgrade. Another upgrade. So th- you'd have go to back go even further. You'd have to go back to Woody to find a, a downgrade Woody. to and then Woody. Earl Bruce. Woody, Woody to Earl downgrade. Bruce. But again, look at the coaches we just talked about. Unbelievable. Woody, Earl Bruce, John Cooper, Jim Trestle, Urban Meyer, and now to the Quaff. And great recruiting base. You know, not only do you have Ohio, but you've got Chicago, you've got Pennsylvania. You can dip down a little bit south. And it, with, with their reputation, they can recruit anywhere, anywhere if they, they want, want to. Anywhere they want. They basically take the top five or six guys out of Ohio, and then they go wherever <laughs> they want to get other people. So you almost kind of think, like, could, you know, the proverbial PlayStation, you know, X's and O guy going to Ohio State and have some success. Maybe I, I, I think it take it's got to take <laughs> more joking, than that. But I we're mean, we're joking, right? Like, but how but can the they keep of, getting better? That is something. That's they do. I'm glad you brought that up. That's amazing. They do. They get they get better. We're talking, when when did uh, Woody Hayes throw his famous punch? 1978. 79, 79 I think it was. It was okay. The 79. 78 season. 79 Clemson. bowl game yep. versus Clemson. They've improved from that moment until now. I would say Cooper held serve maybe i think he was better than earl bruce yes well earl bruce was a down tick but since earl bruce they've gotten better yeah they've gotten better yeah and there's a reason why they're number one with the bullet because we don't see him getting not close knocked off the perch in any capacity let's get to the real rankings here all right so that'll get us through the the football version of the podcast uh now we're going to we're gonna go a little tarantino yes action finally um I would just say overall, right, when 
Quentin Tarantino hit the stage, he he changed cinema. Things were different after Quentin he Tarantino. He was revolutionary. He was influential. And mostly it was because he was just odd and did it. He was different. Different, which is good when you're especially in Hollywood, a.k.a. Hollyweird. When you can be a weird one in Hollyweird... You're, that's you're, you're that's saying something. That's a that's a superpower right there. But you know what I mean? There was just like there's a there's a feel to Quentin Tarantino movies. And I can't the, really put my finger on it, but it's a feel. Do you know what I mean? Oh, there's absolutely a feel. I okay. mean, there's there's um there's there are different themes that that come through all the time. There are the, you know, the jumps dram- in time. The jumps, jumps in, in time, time is a big one. Not yep. that that's a new thing, but I think he found a a like a new spin on it. Yep. And then of course the over the top endings is a yes. <laughs> big, big yes. thing for him. So what is the first Tarantino movie you saw? Pulp Fiction. Yeah, me too. Yep. And then when people realized how good Pulp Fiction was, then you went back and watched Reservoir Dogs. I think that's that was the pretty second much one. how yeah. it went yes. down, don't you think? Yeah. Okay. So with the last two rankings list that we did, we we melded our thought process together to make a firm one through 14. We did not make that effort with Tarantino movies. So yeah, we're going to go back and forth or which fits in perfectly with, with Tarantino. Oh, wow. See, man, did we just do that? Yes. I think we just did that. Um, there are not 14 Tarantino movies to rank. There are 10, but that makes it for a nice even list. Um, and then I want to say, uh, a special mention to the movie four rooms, which we do not have on this list. Because he was only partial director, so it was one out of four. Let, let let's let's start by saying we are ranking the movies he directed. Correct. Not produced. Or not wrote. In. So not starred in his directorial. directorial thank you. Because uh, what's the one with Clooney and the vampires? Um, Dawn till dusk. Dawn till, like he's yeah. a part of that. I think he. I think but, he wrote it, didn't yeah. he? Yeah. Yeah. He, he's wrote a true romance. True he romance. Too, he wrote that. But one, we yeah. we don't conclude that on this list here. No. But Four Rooms deserves a special mention because if you, by the way, if you haven't seen the movie Four Rooms, I you got to see it. I recommend. I it. mean, it's a must see. I don't. It is a. It is. A, oh, oh Christ! Uh, what's Tim Roth? Tim is Roth. The yeah. only character that is in each scene of the movie. There's four vignettes. Vignettes is yeah. what it is, and he is the bellhop in a crazy hotel, and he is awesome. He is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to bring that up simply because of how awesome uh, Tim Roth is. He was in good. That movie. I'll, I'll say I didn't love the movie, but I love Tim Roth. I think I love the movie because of Tim Roth, but okay. overall the movie was really good. All right, so we're gonna start at number ten. We agree on this one. It, I've only I I've seen the movie, but I haven't like done a deep dive into this movie. Okay, go ahead. De- Death Proof. It's two two thousand seven. So that's. The, the Grindhouse movie. Grindhouse, death. Okay. Yep, yep. So that's my dead last, because I haven't seen it. And you that's the only reason. I haven't I've, seen I've any seen of it. I've seen it, but it's fine. It definitely has... It's got a unique Tarantino feel to it. It's just... It's the only movie on here that I can't definitively say I really, really liked. That's, that's the worst thing I can say about it. Okay, so next up, and I think we're going to start uh, jumping around here, but you can go ahead and give your number nine. Okay, next. so I assume... Um, the Kill Bills are two different movies. We are going to use them as two different movies. Okay. Yes. My number nine is Kill Bill 2 because I've seen zero of it. Okay. You haven't seen because you had enough of Kill Bill 1 and you didn't go to 2? Correct. Really? 
Okay. Couldn't do two. I'm yeah, sorry. We're, Couldn't do we're, it. We're, we're diverging a lot here. So I have, I have Django Unchained. Um, okay. I think part of it was going into it. I'm like, holy cow, Leonardo DiCaprio in a Tarantino movie. I had my hopes up so high for how good that movie was going to be. See, I was a little turned off by Leo. I thought he's going too mainstream here. Really? Yeah. See, I'm a Leo fan, so I just thought. Well, I'm a I'm a fan too. I'm I love you, Leo. I love okay. you. I love yeah. you. Leo's done. But no, I just thought stuff. it was a little too mainstream at the time. Now I've seen since then that he can <laughs> yeah. do mainstream he can do really it. well. He can do it. Yeah. And I and I enjoyed it in that movie. But okay, I, I like where you're going there. But you're okay with the Django being kind of low there. And I don't have it ranked high. I just did. It was fine. It just I don't know. I liked it. I just it it wasn't going to be the I can't wait to watch that again type of movie. Here's the thing about Django Unchained for me. I really liked the movie the entire time until the end, which I know he has over-the-top endings, but it was just too much for me. It was too me. much. It was way too much. Blood and it kind house of, exploding. It kind of ruined the movie for did, me, did, I'll be honest it, with it, you. It definitely had something to do with this being ranked I was below. really enjoying it up to that point. Yep. Uh, number eight, I've got Jackie Brown. Okay. Where are you at? So Kill Bill one is is, is so I just couldn't get through. I've watched, I've I've tried multiple times to get through that movie. Okay, and I can't get deeper than like forty five minutes into either Kill Bill. I I didn't watch the second one. Only watched the first one. I I could not get through it. I just couldn't do it. Not an Uma fan. I like Uma. It's, it has nothing to. You know what I think? It a big part of it is I don't care about the kung fu stuff. It doesn't interest me in the least. And you know Quentin Tarantino is a gigantic kung fu fan. I know. It, like the whole, th- I didn't even try watching those movies till years later. I forced myself to sit down because I'm like, oh, here we go, kung fu. So, and then so, it was just from the opening bell, see, kung I, fu this, kung fu that. But so many good parts of the movie have nothing to do with kung fu. It's just, I believe it's you. Just amazing Tarantino dialogue and setups and atmosphere all the things that are great with tarantino are in between okay can i get a, like a director's cut where they remove all the kung fu and i just get those parts i mean i would say if there was a director's cut like that where the kung fu is maybe even like pardon the pun chopped down oh nice little, i like what you yeah. did there i could see that but okay i don't know the kung fu worked for me too now i had jackie brown down here we're kind of jumping all around because that's how it's, this is going to go Jackie Brown, it had redeeming qualities. It did. I would say like there was a lot of the the uh, the the um, dialogue, a lot of the relationships that I really was kind of digging. Yep. But the the as a whole, it just didn't bring it together for me. Unfortunately, I think Pam Greer was the worst part of that movie. Yeah, she wasn't good. And he wanted he he wanted to make a movie with Pam Greer. We so know bad. that because of Reservoir Dogs. Yep. Um, it just. And I love Cherry, the the detective. Detective. He, he was, was good. good. I liked that character. He was good in that. And movie. he was trying, and Tarantino was trying to just. There's a lot of things that just didn't. But it didn't. It didn't ever perfectly fit together. Did not. I will say when De Niro killed the chick in, in the towards the end of the movie. Uh, who? Oh, uh, what's her name? She was. She was like in you know 80s and 90s. Yeah, but it's it's the one that he banged earlier in the movie. Yes, yes. I mean that. And then made... he just got tired of her crap. And, like that was. <laughs> well, she was in Hateful Eight. Gosh, yeah. What the hell's her name? Oh um, man, I'm having a brain fire. Uh, uh, yeah, she. I thought that scene 
in that movie was fantastic. Ah, I can't. You, you, you know what I mean. Right? I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, but I don't know. Overall, it just was. It wasn't enough to. Um, uh, to I don't know. Just you know, save the whole movie. I mean, I will Bridget say, Fonda. Bridget, Bridget Fonda. Fonda. Oh yes, yeah, yeah. Bridget Fonda. I was so excited to go see that in the theater too. Yep. I'm like, here's his neck. Like I, you know, and Jackie I, Brown came out in '97, so we went from Reservoir Dogs '92, Pulp Fiction to '94. You know, Jackie Brown was the next one out, and I was, was a lot of people I were was let jacked. down. A lot of people were let down. Yeah, yep. Uh, so I have you, I have Jackie at six. So you're pretty close to me. Yep. Okay, I had him at eight. What, uh, Jackie Brown. What'd you have at uh, seven? I went with Hateful Eight. Oh, weird. I have Hateful Eight exactly number seven. It's good. <sighs> I don't think it is good. What? It's I, good. Oh, it's a good movie. Okay. What is it, like a two and a half hour movie? It's long. I think I watched an hour and fifty of it, and I just couldn't take it anymore. Really? Yes. Okay. I I guess I I can definitely say I liked the Hateful Eight more than you. Then I guess. Um, uh, lots of good. I mean, just like most Tarantino movies, there's a lot of good uh, performances in it. This one, there were good was, performances. There yeah. was some good dialogue. It just didn't seem to be going anywhere. A name that probably most people won't recognize, but Walter Grogan, Walton Groggins is the uh, um, actor in the movie. He's the sheriff. He was amazing in this movie. Samuel Jackson was fine. I thought Kurt Russell was awesome. I mean, it's okay. Yeah, I I thought there was a lot of good Bridget Fonda. Bridget Fonda was in yeah. it too. She was really good. She was like, pretty good. Yeah, just not it. Just not enough for you there. It just wasn't grabbing me. Man. I'm surprised it even ranked that high for you. Well, you haven't barely even seen. You haven't even really watched Kill Bill one or two. So so again, I I have um, Kill Bills at nine and eight. Yep. Hateful Eight seven. Yep. And then next six Jackie Brown. So and then mine were my next two up six and five. I have together, which is Kill Bill one and two. We're okay. not going to talk about that more, but. I infinitely like those movies more than you. That's 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 goes without saying. I guess the one thing I like about those is like the kung fu outfits are pretty cool. Tons of yeah, that's just part of it. <laughs> with the stripe down the side. Yeah, I like the stripe. So what, let me go with so then. So at five, I've got Django. That's where you got Django. Yeah, and again, and I thought it was a great movie up, up until the end. the end. Okay, I thought it was an okay movie up until the end. Okay, so that's probably why it's ranked. So you're up to go. Where are you up to next? Then this you're, is I'm up to four. Are we, are we taking a big jump up here? There's a huge okay. jump up. To okay, four. Quentin Tarantino's first four movies are all masterpieces, and at four, I have Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Okay, um, I'm very close. So okay. I'm interested. I have Once Upon a Time in Hollywood at three. I almost put him at three. Okay, what do you have at three? I have Pulp Fiction at three. Really? Yeah. Okay, so we're gonna we're gonna diverge. I thought maybe so to stay with Once Upon a Time in in Hollywood. Um, maybe there's some recency bias there, but I that movie just drew me in and did not let go. Absolutely, the acting, Leo. First of all, amazing. Amazing acting, wasn't it? Incredible. The the little girl that plays like the the amazing. sage or whatever. She's amazing. Holy crap! Uh, Brad Pitt won a Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor. That's right. He Good was point. So cool in that movie. So cool. Um. Okay. Kung Fu beats the crap out of Bruce Lee. Probably the best scene in the movie. Right. And that's what is like. You knew it was based around the Sharon Tate murders mm-hmm. and and uh you know how it ties to. Uh, the serial killer. Uh, 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 Manson. Yeah. So, but I didn't know going in, like, I knew because That's of previous, all I knew about. I, I knew because of Tarantino movies, he can just go ahead and do what he wants to do. Sure. That's what, that's the power of Tarantino. 
But you still thought the entire time Sharon Tate was going to get killed. Absolutely. And he freaking deked you. And when he when she didn't get killed and they killed all the the a-holes, I, I, I mean, I, it I was just... I up and cheered. Me, I know. It and was I'm awesome. Watching it, I was watching it by myself in my living room. Okay. My wife had fallen asleep. I got like... I was just like... And and I'm la- and then because this is what Tarantino does. At the same time, I was laughing because I'm like, "You got me, man. Correct. You got me." Correct. And the way, like, it was over top in the end. It was typical Tarantino over the top ending, but with the the flamethrower in yeah. the pool. Yeah. I mean, that was freaking genius, wasn't it? I mean, it? You, you think he was just like, "Yeah, let's do the flamethrower." You see, you know what I mean? Like he when he a- pulled out the flamethrower, I go, "Okay, it's gonna be too much. This is gonna be too much." That's what I was thinking, but it wasn't too much. Nah. It was awesome. And it just felt great that that and, that Sharon Tate yes, was she lived. She lived. She lived. And a little side note, the other thing that I just thought was incredible is showing the ugly underbelly of the hippies. Oh man, that How, was so scary and so disturbing but also so awesome. Yes. Like you know those people existed in the 60s. Absolutely. And when he kicks that one's ass, when he just beats him to a bloody pulp. God, that was so cool. Because then you have to think about the time frame because it would have been, you know, late 60s, early 70s, right? Yeah, I the think it was like 69, right? right? Wasn't it 69, it was 69 in the okay. Sharon Tate murder? I so think. So, like, you know, Brad Pitt's character is like late, you know, late 40s or whatever. Well, he's like from the the 40s or 50s. Right. So he's like old school Hollywood dude. And back then you just beat the shit out of people. <laughs> right. And he did. <laughs> Uh, so that was played I, such a great stunt, man. I, I like that movie even more than I thought it was going to. Me too. Um, see, now for me, I've got that at three, and I know this is going to be somewhat controversial, but I have Reservoir Dogs at four. Oh, how dare you? Okay. How dare you? It's a great movie. Reservoir is my number one. Okay. And I, I don't have to think about this one. It, Reservoir is that, just my number one. It's that simple for you Mike like the costumes the black suits the skinny ties the sunglasses how they're all dressed the same very way. iconic the color names I mean it was just so unique like I I saw Pulp Fiction and I thought I kind of just thought yeah it's a good movie but I think I liked it because other people liked it you know I was supposed to like it it was a great movie I I, I circled back and and really found his genius but when I watched Reservoir Dogs, like I said, that that right there is an awesome movie. And I don't think a lot of other people at that time were watching Reservoir Dogs either. But like the setting, like being in the 70s, which I think was pretty unique, like nobody was placing movies in the 70s. Yeah, because I mean, the uh, the movie came out in 92. Right. You, you don't typically do time no. pieces only 15 years previous. Right. Or... The soundtrack was amazing. The soundtrack's incredible. And it was, it was a very simple movie, too. Like, yeah. there wasn't a whole lot, not a lot of different scenes. You could um, you could make an argument that Michael Madsen's character is one of the scariest characters in the history of cinema. He are you going to was... bark all day, little doggy, or are you going to bite? He was amazing, and right? And of course, the torture scene, which was just incredible. Uh, the coffins, the coffin motif, you yeah. know, it was it was pretty cool. Nice guy, Eddie. Stop pointing that gun in my dad. That's L- like yep. that 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 line right there to me. Yep. And then they all, you know, again over the top, but not quite as crazy as as he would get. Just three no, guys shooting was, each other was, in a circle. It was like he he didn't quite have the uh ability then, meaning Tarantino, to get as crazy as he would want to right. get. Like uh and then a, another thing, Lawrence Tierney in that movie. Oh my God. Did you know he was he was a real life 
criminal, bad guy. No, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. He's and he scared the shit out of everybody on the, the in the cast. Well, he scared the shit out of everyone in Seinfeld when he was on Seinfeld. He played Elaine's dad in one episode and everyone was scared to death to work with the guy. Well, everybody was scared. That that was the Seinfeld cast. Everybody on this cast was scared to death of him, too. So kind of just a fun. little. I hadn't heard around. that. Nice yeah. guy, Eddie. I mean, he was awesome. Yep. I, he Don't was, get me wrong. Like, I know I have it fourth. I love this movie. I just feel that much more how I love Once Upon a Time in Mexico and the other two movies. Hollywood. Um, it, just, Hollywood. it just stuck out as so unique to me. Okay. Reservoir Dogs. Yeah. Okay. So number two, I have I have Pulp Fiction number two. Commode story. I have Pulp Fiction at three. Okay. Pulp Fiction is amazing. Pulp Fiction is an amazing movie. And yeah. I, I will say the first time I saw it, I was like, yeah, I like it, really? but I didn't love it. Oh, God, I did But then I've gone back and seen it, you know, I don't know, probably One half a dozen times. One of the most times. rewatchable movies ever. Okay, what, did you, what do you think about the whole soul in the briefcase thing? I think that's a little... I loved it. Eh, but it adds eh. to, there's a lot of things that Quentin Tarantino just doesn't ever care to explain. It's a little too much for me. Loved it. A little it. too much. Liked it. But I love Which the... Which we don't know if it's the soul. The soul of, of is what... Has been the the fan theory. That's we don't really even know what it is. Touche. Quentin Tarantino's laughing about. It. Okay, it's his soul. Right. So, I mean, that movie had the power to relaunch a career. Would you? Would you? Well, okay. I think Tarantino has the power to relaunch yes. careers. Yes, he does. But yeah, I mean, it started with that movie with with Travolta. Correct. Right. He he. I mean. Dr- dr- Putting Travolta into a movie at that time was I couldn't com- believe it. Comical, I, exactly. I could not believe that I was watching freaking Tarantino or uh, 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 Travolta, but it worked. It was insane. He was so f- good. In that he was so- in that movie. He was hilarious. He was great. Yes. He- and then he was so good in that movie. And then um, um, obviously it unleashed the power of Samuel L. Jackson. On yes. To, I mean Samuel L. Jackson had small pieces and other. Yeah, what movies. was he doing before that? I uh, was in um, uh, uh, okay, uh, a lot of the like menace to society type of movies. Yeah, that's right. Okay, um, he was in Goodfellas. He was Shakes in Goodfellas. He got God, that's right. Away. He was yeah. Shakes, wasn't right. he? You look through the list of Samuel Jackson's movies, that's but he was incredible. never like a no, big like no, no. I mean, one he, of the leading guys. He took the world by storm in that role. Oh, and he was so good. Um, uh, the uh, Honey Bunny Walken. Oh, Chris Walken. The Chris Walken. The, this the, watch. The, the watch, this watch up the ass. I took this watch Lump in my coal. ass. Yeah. Bruce Willis is hilarious. Willis is good. I know the chick, his girlfriend, is was very annoying, but that was the part she was supposed to play right, that's, in the movie. That's, no, that was that was, was the part. Yeah, that was her. She did her part. She did her part. Yeah. And it was it was perfect. With the blueberry pancakes. And then, of course, like I feel, <laughs> I feel like the... The skipping back and forth in the time. Yeah, that was... he. It was he, a thing. It was pretty extreme, you yeah. know? Like, you see that in other movies, but it, he went way overboard with that. Way overboard. But it worked. And then it worked because uh, the aforementioned um, John Travolta got killed at the quote-unquote end of the movie, but in time frame, it was pretty close to the middle or even beginning of the right. movie when he, when he got killed. And then we haven't even mentioned Uma. Oh, my God. Every Uma scene, was awesome. She was amazing yeah. in that movie. Her OD scene was incredible. Oh, that's right. The then her going then going to the drug house and then them plunging yes. the 
so good. The adrenaline. Oh my god. Do you remember when um, he's like, uh, was it Stoltz? Right, Eric Stoltz. Eric Stoltz. Right. That's right. Eric he's Stoltz. Like, you gotta, you gotta, yeah. Plunge down. And Travolta's like, like three times like that. <laughs> he's like, no, just once. <laughs> I don't know if that was ad libbed or not. So but good. God, it was so good. Oh, there must have been a lot of ad lib stuff in that one. Oh God, so awesome. That oh, movie. and then don't, don't forget about the. Uh, that is one tasty burger. That is one tasty burger. Can I have a sip of your drink there? The other thing I remember about Pulp Fiction is when, and this again, I swear this was like this was a big deal back then. I mean, Pulp Fiction came out in '94, so I went. This was like one of my first date movies. Oh, okay. I was, I was young. I had, I had my date had to drive me to the movie because I didn't have a license. Wow. At the time. And um, I'm pretty sure that's how it was anyways. But um, uh, when they started talking about, you know, comparing foot massages to fellatio. Yeah. There was an old couple sitting right next to me that just got up and walked out. Nice. They were so offended. And I will never forget that. That has never happened to me That's great. So I'm good with Reservoir Dogs, number one. I'm good with Pulp Fiction, number one. I I personally have Inglorious Bastards, number one. You have it one? Yes. I have it two, so I'm not going to complain. But so you're wow. not surprised that I have it at one when you have it at two? I just no, I would have never guessed one for you. Listen, I've I've got a little bit of a man crush on Brad Pitt, and I his... would I, I admit that I do as well. Okay. So I think any movie that he's in, I'm going to rate a little bit higher. The, okay, so I'm the exact same way. Um, I don't know what else to say other than it was one of those movies where I had absolutely. No setup expectations. Me too. I didn't. I, I'll be honest. I didn't expect it to be very good. Neither did I. I just. And, and it didn't seem to have a lot of buzz. It was released in two thousand nine. Like it's over ten years ago. Like I don't know why. And then like killing Nazis. Like we're we're gonna go back to World War Two. Like, like what is, what it is, didn't. Like, the whole Tar- plot. It, it was like didn't, it didn't interest seem me. Like it didn't seem like a Tarantino movie should go back into the forties. No. World War Two. It didn't seem it seemed out of place. The second that movie started, I was in, and I. I just kept liking it more. And you know, I mean, first of all, you, I mean, we talk about how great Brad Pitt was yep. in the movie, but Christoph Waltz was Ooh, so you, good. You don't get better than that. He was so evil. Oh my God. The evilness, but oh, you know what, you know, but playful. I, I mean, yeah, but like I hated him, of course, but okay. You know, the thing that sticks out, the thing he did in that movie that sticks out to me that he Tarantino obviously did intentionally. There's like that little pastry and it's got the puff the of the whipped cream. It. No, it's got the puff of whipped yeah, cream. Yeah. And he takes a cigarette and sticks it in the and it's so disgusting yep, looking. Yep. Like that's what you think of him. Correct. A it was so a perfectly puffy pastry oh, it was so, so ugly. Yeah. That's that's represent the other thing too is just the whole scene at the beginning of the movie when they're so that hiding, was a good one. when they're hiding the Jewish people underneath. Yep. And you don't know they're underneath there until you know. But like he somehow makes drinking milk absolutely make you sit on the edge of your seat. Okay. How do you Hold on. write a scene that says this person is going to talk and drink milk and you're going to have your skin crawl? Somehow Christoph Waltz and Quentin Tarantino pulled it off. So it's not just that. It's it's pretty boring conversation. It but is. somehow you cannot look away. You can't stop paying attention. Like It draws you in this just total minutiae. Of and, conversation. You, and you don't even know until somewhere around halfway through the scene that there's they're, they're, they're even harboring Jewish people underneath the boards. I know, I know. So they still pulled it off before we even got that far. But they're just talking about the most inane 
crap, yes. right? Yes. So my favorite scene is the basement bar scene. Okay, because where that, that takes gets... like a half hour, and they just keep talking and, and talking, talking and, and talking. talking. And dude, that was for me. I'm pretty sure when I got to know Michael Fassbender. Yeah, that's the first time I knew I knew of him. How how incredible! He was fantastic when he goes. Well, if I'm going to die, I'm going to go off speaking the kings. And when he stops drink, st- speaking in German, he starts speaking in his English. Right. I mean, I, it was just, it was incredible. I don't know. And then Till Schweiger, who's uh, uh, Hugo Schlitz, he's one okay. of the bastards. Okay. He's the bad, bad guy. I mean, he sticks the say goodbye to your Nazi balls and he shoot. He's like one of the first ones that okay. shoots. Like, he's amazing as one of the bastards. Like, and then, dude, I mean, Diane Kruger is, oh. Oh, she is so hot. So fantastic. And she's amazing in that scene. And Frau Hammerschmidt. Frau Hammerschmidt. Yes. Yep. That, the, and then, of course, uh, Brad Pitt. I don't know, but I know I don't like fighting in a basement. You don't have to be General Stonewall Jackson <laughs> to know it's not a good idea to fight in a basement. But the thing, when I first saw that scene, the whole thing about ordering dry whiskey with uh, mm-hmm. with three as mm-hmm. opposed to three, I had never thought about that. But that's a real thing. That is a real thing. Yeah, European. He gave away his regional bias. Correct, that. yeah. You know, so good. And by the way, the writing of that for Tarantino to pull that three or three out of and it becomes a gigantic plot point awesome and then this was like one of the tarantino is just toying with you because then they have a very believable adolf hitler in this movie whoever was the adolf hitler was a good adolf hitler i don't know how else to say that how he gets killed at the end of the movie where two of the blasters shoot him in the face with a machine gun 714 (laughs) times I mean, Tarantino just went for it. He's like, he if, went I'm for gonna it. Have, if I'm going to have Adolf Hitler in my movie, I'm going to shoot him in the head, in the face with a machine gun 714 times. Well, and then, of course, you got our Italian buddies oh, that were in the movie. Oh, <laughs> Dominic DeCoco. Dominic And uh, Margariti. Um, another, I mean, dude, all of the performances, Daniel Brühl as the he was the, good the sharpshooter yes and then um, Melanie Laurent, I don't know what I'm saying. Love uh, her. She's, she's fantastic. Like, yeah. She's incredible. Like, there was like 10 good performances in this movie. How do you have a movie where you have enough scream time where you honestly pull away thinking there are like 10 people in this movie that did great? And which one was the Jew Bear? Who- uh, that was uh, Eli Roth. Oh, that's right. That was who, Eli Roth. Who's a gigantic actor in, or actor and uh, director in his own right. Man. Boy, so that's why that's why I mean bastards I get it. One. I just nothing will ever top I get it. dogs for me because it just made such an impression on me at like at the right time of my life. Yep, when I was really starting to pay attention to cinema, and that's why we didn't try to fight each other's list to coerce it because each person's gonna have their own. You know, they're gonna love their 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 type of movie. Yep, and that they're gonna have their reasons. So the bastards was good. Oh man, I might watch that again tonight. Damn it. <laughs> Good? Yeah, I'm good. I am Jeffrey the Greek. I'm Big Kurt. This is the Eyes on Big Podcast. Thank you so much for listening.